Thanks to Harry's for supporting Motley Fool Answers. Harry's stands behind the quality of their blades, but they know that switching razors isn't an easy decision. So they created a trial offer. Claim yours by going to harrys.com fool. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, joined as always by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at The Motley Fool. Hi, Allison. On today's episode, we've brought in a couple people from The Motley Fool's people team to help you negotiate a raise at work. And Bro reads reports about Social Security so you don't have to. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. So, Bro, what's up? Allison, it's that time of year again. The time for the, quote, annual report of the Board of Trustees of the Federal Old Age and Survivors Insurance and Federal Disability Insurance Trust Funds. Yay! End quote. Report. So, in other words, these are the reports that come out every year from the trustees of the Social Security and Medicare Trust Fund. So, in case you're curious, there are supposed to be six trustees. So, there's the four that uh, are on the report this year. the Secretary of Treasury, Secretary of Labor, Secretary of Health and Human Services, and the Acting Commissioner of Social Security. Now, there's supposed to be two public trustees with four-year terms. The last trustees, their terms ended, I think, in 2015 or 2016, and they haven't been appointed yet. Oh. So even if you look at the report, it has the four people that are part of the cabinet, Mm -hmm. and then it says vacant public trustee, vacant public trustee. There are no public trustees on these reports anymore, which I think is a bit of an issue, Mm. but regardless, these are the folks who are in charge of the trustee. Now, this report comes out every year. And unfailingly points out that at some point in the 2030s, the trust funds are going to be depleted, at least the Social Security trust funds. And that exact year changes from year to year. This year, it is collectively 2034. Now, that's the exact year it was in the first article I ever wrote for The Motley Fool back in 1999. Yes. Now, back in 1999, 2034 seemed like a long way off. Now, not so much. Uh, But there is something different about this year's report, and that is for the first time since 1982, the Social Security program's cost will exceed its income, and it'll have to dip into the principal of the trust funds to pay the benefits. And this is coming four years sooner than expected. There are all kinds of reasons. Some is that the economy has not performed as well as was projected. Certainly, the Great Recession has had a large effect on the finances of the program. Um, there's the well-known demographic problem. So last year, there were 2.8 workers for every Social Security recipient. In 2007, it was 3.3. So there are fewer workers to pay into the program. The Wall Street Journal actually pointed out a couple other reasons why things are looking a little worse this year. So we all know about the tax cuts that were signed into law at the end of last year. Now, those just cut income tax rates, didn't affect the Social Security taxes that we all pay on our payroll, except that because of those tax cuts, the recipients of Social Security, those who are already retired, are not going to be paying as many taxes on their Social Security benefits. And it turns out that the taxes that are raised by taxing Social Security benefits actually go straight into the trust fund. But because retirees are going to be paying lower taxes, it actually weakens the trust fund. And another issue that the Wall Street Journal points out is that the projections from previous years, you always have to assume a certain number of people immigrating to the United States. Now they're projecting there'll be fewer immigrants because of issues that we've been in the news if you've been paying attention. 
that actually weakens the Social Security program to a certain extent. A report from the Center for Retirement Research at Boston College also looked at the results and wondered actually whether things are a little bit worse than currently projected because what happens during a recession and happened in this last recession is that birth rates go down. Economic times are tough. Families are like, well, maybe we shouldn't be having kids right now. But normally, when the economy recovers, people are like, yay, let's have kids. That hasn't happened in this recovery. The birth rate has stayed low. So, to the extent that we that. We found better ways to celebrate, I think. <laughs> so, recovering but, economy. Exactly. But so, to the extent that that is something that continues, the fertility rate is actually what they call it in the report. Then that will make the finances look worse because there will be fewer workers coming into the program to pay the payroll taxes. The thing about it is, for me, is when I was reading about the report, it does come out every year. There are lots of people out there like me who have been pointing out that this year is coming. And there's just much more despair in the articles Mm. this year, and that it's coming, it's actually looking a little worse. But there's absolutely no political will to do anything about it. I mean, the responsible thing would be to do a mix of raising some taxes as well as changing some benefits, maybe raising the the age at which you could get Social Security, maybe making it so that if you have a certain income, a certain number of assets, you wouldn't get quite as much Social Security, some sort of what they would call an intergenerational bargain to make the program solvent. But given the current political climate, that is just not likely to happen. So the bottom line, I think, for everyone is to pay attention to what the report says, and that is, at some point in the early 2030s, there's only going to be enough money in the program to pay for about three-quarters of estimated benefits, and that anyone who is in their 50s or younger should assume that they're only going to get about 75% of what they're currently projected. Hopefully, they'll become they'll come up with some solution before that happens, but I certainly think that at this point, it's responsible to assume that you're only going to get about three-quarters of what you're currently projected. Thanks to Harry's for supporting Motley Fool Answers. Harry's founders were fed up with overpaying for expensive razors with unnecessary features. They knew a great shave comes down to great blades made with sharp, durable steel that lasts. And that's why they bought a factory that's been making some of the highest quality blades in the world for over 95 years. By selling directly to you over the internet, Harry's can offer their blades at a price much lower than the leading brand, like $2 compared to 4 or more. And it's a quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let Harry's know within 30 days and they'll give you a full refund. Robert Brokamp and Chris Hill rave about the shave, and now you can give Harry's a shot too with a trial set. This $13 value trial set comes with everything you need for a close, comfortable shave, including a five-blade razor, shaving gel, and more. Listeners of the show can redeem their trial set at harrys.com slash fool. Make sure you go to harrys.com slash fool to redeem your offer and let them know we sent you to help support the show. here in the U.S. is the lowest it's been in the last 18 years, and with the economy humming along, now might be a great time to ask for a raise. So joining us to talk about how to improve your chances of getting more moolah from your employer are Lee Burridge and Kara Chambers. Lee heads up the people team here at The Fool, and Kara is in charge of people development. Hi, guys. Hi. Hello. Have you been on the show before? 
Maybe once for like five I minutes. I think Kara was on at least. Is this your first time? I, you know, I can't recall, and that makes me think no. Okay. Um, well, then, if not, why don't we start, before we really get into it, with kind of your personal journey and how you ended up here at The Fold. That's what we usually start when we have people on. So okay. Sounds exciting. Kara, do you want to start? Uh, sure. I've been here uh, 13 years coming up this year. Uh, and actually, I'm kind of a rare case of fool that stayed in a similar team over my career. Uh, I started out recruiting, uh, and then I got really into things that keep people working here. So I moved over to working on organizational development um, and a field that I didn't know existed, like People Insights, which is kind of just looking at survey data and compensation data and, and just helping us make best decisions. Mm-hmm. Lee, how about you? Uh, so I've been here almost 20 years now. I'm always doing something in the HR people world uh, for The Motley Fool. I worked for Bank of America for about seven years before coming here. Um, decent amount of my career doing um, similar stuff at a much bigger scale. I think when I left Bank of America, there were 200,000 employees. Whoa. And when I started here, there were about 75. My very first Foolish interview was with you, Lee, around, as, around a ping pong table back in the old... <laughs> The old building. It's funny. I, rem- I, I remember it as us being in the radio studio, and I wonder if that time, if the radio studio did, wasn't also the ping pong well, we, room. We didn't have it, the devoted studio. <laughs> yeah. It was just one of the conference rooms. Yes, I distinctly remember interviewing you. How long have you worked here, Robert? Almost 19 years. Oh, you guys go way back. Well, the reason why we called you in here today specifically is we're actually doing something really crazy here at The Motley Fool called Ask for a Raise Day, where we're encouraging everyone at the company to ask for a raise. Kara, why? Why would we do this? We're crazy. She's wondering that, too. (laughs) I'm wondering that right now. Uh, So for us, one, talk about your compensation day didn't have the right ring to it. Mm. Um, and, And really what we're trying to do is get people to open up conversations about compensation that can be uncomfortable. Uh, it also isn't get a raise day. Just a shout out to our CFO who stopped me in the hallway having a heart attack. <laughs> so really just <laughs> saying, uh, we really want people to be comfortable asking for compensation, even if it feels socially weird sometimes, just because of our culture. Uh, so that's what we're going with. Uh, and so we're, we're setting aside... Uh, tomorrow for everyone to really just sit down and write up some criteria, think about why, um, make sure they understand their competitive benchmarks, and uh, ask their boss. Now, I sit close to you guys, and so one thing that I have learned by sitting close to the people team is that one of the biggest challenges of um, being a people team and trying to help managers be better managers is that a lot of the time uh, people are just trying to avoid having really tough conversations <laughs> like, and just kicking a can down the road until that can grows into like a massive keg and then they can no longer <laughs> kick it down the road. So Lee, one of your big points about Ask for a Raise Day is it's just about kind, not necessarily forcing people, but encouraging people to have what can often be perceived as a really tough conversation. And why not? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you have a few things working against you. Uh, At The Motley Fool, we have a very cordial culture. We all like each other very much. We've all worked here a long time, as we talked about. We know each other and our families really well. And so uh, it's natural for us to sometimes avoid difficult conversations. I would say um, business culture in general, there are certain things that we typically uh, um, stay away from, topics that people don't talk about. And so for whatever reason, in our culture and our business culture, people don't talk about compensation. Don't ask them how much they make. Don't talk about that. 
And uh, we want to encourage those conversations. We want people to um, uh, just because it's difficult doesn't mean it isn't going to be uh, important and you know have, be a great discussion. So we're just trying to make it so that um, people want to have those conversations and uh, you know just get them out of the way. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, then let's get into it with advice for our listeners, because you guys have uh, created sort of a, a, a framework for people here at The Fool to help guide them. So this is going to be a little bit from our internal playbook here, but also just your advice as uh, people in, and experts in HR. So first off, uh, how do you determine when it's like the right time to ask for a raise? I mean, I think one thing you could do is understand uh if um, your company's timeline, right, and and the typical pace, and be able to look at your salary history in some way, and, and understand uh, how often what the pace is, so you can kind of calibrate against that. If it's been a really long time, that's when I tell people don't just sit back and wonder what happened. That's when you should bring it up. Um, Define a really long time. Typically, over a year is probably right, and again, that that might be. It's typical. Most companies have annual merit increase budgets or something like that. So typically about a year. I find too that if you if you're thinking in your head, if you're starting to tell yourself a story about what might be going on related to your compensation, and you don't really know the answers to, it turns out you can just go talk to people and ask. So if you find yourself having those um, thoughts at night or so forth, like I wonder what's going on with my comp, or haven't had a raise in a while, and you're starting to try to answer your own questions, that can be a good time to step forward and, and ask. And I'll also add, I think sometimes it's not necessarily the wrong time, but usually the only time people are asking for a raise is uh, they're really upset. Uh, they got called by a headhunter. And I used to do recruiting, and I would hear that you want to get the best person on a bad day, right? Like that's like you could get a recruiter could call, and you're taking that call. All right, it's when you're you're down, and then you kind of go in on the defensive. And so that timing, or you found a spreadsheet somebody left on the printer of everyone's salary, uh, or you see so your coworker driving a really nice car to work, like whatever. We all get kind of signals about how fair we think our comp is. Um, they're they're all they're crazy, but uh, so times when you're feeling upset. Uh, Ideally, why we're doing this is saying we're trying to help people not wait until they're upset to ask for a raise, or they're super stressed out. Lee likes to say, uh, sometimes underlying messages, you're not paying me enough to deal with this, mm-hmm. uh, and, then, and then figuring what that is. So, not when you're angry is, is good timing. Uh, <laughs> but mo- that's when most people ask for a raise, when they're angry. Yeah. What if your role really hasn't changed in the last year? What if you're still doing the same kind of things you were the previous year? Oh, that's a good question. I think that can be a. Um, uh, is that a deliberate choice on your part? Is that kind of a circumstance that you've decided is okay? Um, maybe that that's a good part of your conversation of if your role hasn't changed, why? Um, and then you'll see there's some like market differences that happen for a role. Some roles are going to get more competitive, so the salaries are going up regardless. Um, so you can pay attention to that. Uh, but for, for a person, if their role hasn't changed, it's really thinking about... Um, they can develop mastery within that role and continue to improve their comp, or is it time for them to, if they've topped out, that that can also matter. Yeah, so. it can be a, a deeper discussion, I think, than I want to raise. Okay, is it three or four percent? Right, brass tacks sort of a discussion, and it can be a development conversation. So, where am I in my career? Where am I headed? Uh, what are my opportunities here at this company and in my role? So. Um, yeah, just um, it, it can be uh, really powerful in just understanding the trajectory that you're on beyond just compensation. And we talked about how right now uh, the economy is really strong and employment rates really low. So, 
do you think that will have an impact if your company is obviously making more money? They have more money to throw at you. So how is? I assume you should probably think about that as well. Yeah, I think we talk about context uh, a lot. Is is that could be the macroeconomic context? It can also be if um, hopefully your company is doing some kind of communication about how the business is doing. So just knowing if you know the budgets are really tight within your company. Uh, it might not be the best time. And, and what I'm helping people talk through is, is this about you or about your situation? And what we're trying to push these car- conversations towards, the things that are about you, right, versus the things that are about your circumstances. And everybody's circumstances are different. Now, let's segue into how you actually prepare for that meeting, because you created kind of a checklist for people here at The Fool to go through before they actually enter into the conversation and approach their manager, whomever, about getting a raise. So uh, how should you prepare for asking? So, the first thing you do is just kind of, I set it up so you can look at your salary benchmarks in the industry. There's all kinds of free services out there that you can use, like Glassdoor or something, just to get a sense. Um, Some companies subscribe to salary surveys, and they may or may not make them transparent, like salary bands. So, if your company has salary bands, figuring out how those are determined could be helpful. Uh, I really just like to help people use that step to say, are you in the right ballpark? Mm-hmm. Um, and and are you being reasonable, right? Um, and and that can vary. So so I talk about just figuring out the role, and making sure. And if you think, hey, the role I'm being paid for is not actually the one I'm doing. I'm doing something so much more than this. That we think should be part of the conversation. So bringing along, here's how I defined my role. Um, and then that leads me into the second one, which is interesting, is a lot of people say, well, write up a job description. Uh, and what I found is people write job descriptions to post for an external recruiting job, and they write a to-do list, right? They write, there's the things they have to do in this job. Mm-hmm. And someone's like, I've done three podcasts and six meetings today, and I have, you know, or something like that. Uh, what you really want to talk about when you're writing up how you add value when you write about your role. Uh, so I'm asking people to put down a bullet point pointed list of things they they are doing or or can do that adds the most value to our business. Um, And so the more effort and time you put into that process, we think that's going to be the more helpful, uh, the most helpful in that context. So again, what I've had is people saying, okay, see if you can articulate what your job is, um, and then see if you can articulate uh, how you add value, is it would be the second part of that checklist. And then the third one is really uh, development. So lots of jobs have ranges, uh, and where you are in that range is really going to come down to development. Um, so, And if you're at the bottom of the range, it could just be you just got promoted, and you just got this job, and you have no experience. So understanding if you're at the bottom of a range and why, um, and making cases for moving up that range. And again, what your company's pay philosophy is on that, too. But in, in, in our case, we would say, hey, uh, we got to figure out where you are in terms of development. And what I find with a lot of people, they could be at the top of the range for one job and at the bottom for the next job. That's okay. It's the same amount of money. Um, but knowing where you are and then making the case of where your development is. We had uh, one internal fool who gave a suggestion in, in our discussion uh, about this that I thought was great, which is look at uh, think about what would happen if you weren't here, mm-hmm. if you weren't doing the things you were doing. And that's a good place to start to try to figure out the value that you're adding. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you've done your research, and you've put a time on your manager's calendar to sit down and talk. What's your advice for making this conversation go as smoothly as possible? Well, I would start with just sort of understanding uh, what everyone's um, 
mood is going to be in that meeting. So we like to think about, from again, from a recruiting standpoint, uh, when you're interviewing, just remember that the person interviewing you is often just as nervous as you are because they don't do it all the time. Um, these are conversations that uh, bosses, managers don't have on a daily basis. Uh, compensation is often way more complicated than anyone realizes at any company. And so just know that um, this isn't probably a conversation that your boss is perfectly set up to have, so they may also be a little bit nervous as well. So, Do you give them a heads up? Do you say, I want to have a conversation about my compensation, and give them a, rather than be like, I would like to have a conversation, yeah. and put it on their calendar, <laughs> just let them In that guess. tone. Let them guess what you're going to blindside them with. A quick, yeah, quick, quick chat. Yeah, and, and, and again, I think I'd make it a little more broad, and hey, I'd like to talk about my compensation, where I'm at at the company, the development path that I'm on, um, be sure that we're aligned around the places where I'm adding value, Right, so I think you can use Kara's checklist that she's so well articulated to sort of set up the meeting in a way that the um, the boss is going to feel more prepared. And often you're going to find that maybe your role and what you do is so important to you, but maybe not so valued by the company and the company's goals, right? Yeah, and I think that can happen. I mean, some companies have very strict job description and checklists. Some jobs do. Um, for a lot of us, and. Uh, it's knowledge workers, it's a little more fluid, and so you don't spend the time unless you're actually recruiting and interviewing for a job, really defining it. Um, and what I'm hoping some people might uncover on Ask or Raise Day is uh, a person has written down the list of all the things that they value, um, and then say, I get, again, they could say something like, um, I am the best brain surgeon, I could make X as a brain surgeon, and being prepared that the company says, we, we don't use brain surgery here. This isn't a valuable skill to us. So there's a calibration going on about how you could be valued in the external marketplace versus how your company values the work that you do. And and, and that calibration is important. And again, it's important not to take it personally. Uh, and say How do you, you not don't value take it you don't value me <laughs> right, right? That, that's right. painful it's yeah, hard it's so hard <laughs> uh, but uh, saying we we don't value these skills and then you have enough information to make the choice do I prefer to stay here and do this job or and and what you're walking in saying is uh, I could make more money elsewhere doing this and and making sure if your company chooses to value that role in one way or another uh, that's just a good a good point to have. Or if they say, actually, it's the other thing you do that's so valuable. Uh, and then, ping. <laughs> right, that, that's, right. That's where it's really um, helpful, I think. And then do you expect, like, do you, when you go into your meeting with your manager, do you think they should have, like, a number, like, should I, well, not, not, well, this is funny to be, like, I'm being, like, hypothetically speaking, but it's, like, no, actually, this is literally something I'm going to be doing. <laughs> so, but, like, should I Just asking in? for a friend. <laughs> like, <laughs> No, it's just like the reverse of that. Like it was like, oh no, wait, no, wait. yeah, I am asking for myself. I guess this is kind of very practical application. Um, do like, do you go in with like, I want four percent, and then hope that they're going to come in around two, three? Lee, you talked about maybe even getting more creative in how you might want to negotiate, like bargaining for more time rather than you know more money. Well, we, we do recommend that you come in with um, some sense of the marketplace or some, uh, uh, some numbers. So, uh, but just know that. It might not come specifically the number back that you want, but coming with some data is helpful. But yeah, I think there are lots of things available at, depends on the company you work at, that it could be everything from, hey, I want more vacation time if you're a company that, that tracks that strictly, which we do not recommend, do by not. the way. Yeah. Don't do that, um, Allison. <laughs> they're going to say yes. I want more vacation time. Like, but, I don't know, Allison. Let me go, let me, let me go send that up the flagpole. I don't know if Lee's going to go for it. 
Um, but it could be it could be just uh, for those who don't know, we have unlimited vacation here at the Mollyful. We have a no policy vacation policy. Yes, thank you for <laughs> <Sorry>. that. <laughs> uh, it could be just uh, days in the office. So um, more and more every year, people are working from home or other locations, and so maybe you'd like a flexible working environment um, schedule. Maybe you want to come in later and leave earlier. I, I, I want more management. Uh, it, it just could all depend. I want to work on a special project. Um, I want budget. Um, I, I have a pet project that I want to do, and I'd love to get budget to do that. So just being open that it might not be a base salary increase. Uh, maybe your company is uh, going through financing, and you'd like to participate. You want some equity. Um, that, could, that could be a discussion point as well. So I think we're trying to pull people from just, I want 4%, to, again, a, a deeper development and alignment conversation with our boss that, that could go a lot of different ways, that um, it's just healthy and fun. Yeah. One fun thing about what's happening here is that tomorrow uh, at the Motley Fool's Ask for a Raise Day, um, technically I am Kara's boss, and our meeting is scheduled for tomorrow. <laughs> where she is gonna, I'm asking for a friend. Where she is going to ask me for a raise. So I am taking notes during this entire podcast on uh, what it is that Kara. Let me just say that me. I've been involved in some meetings with Kara, and she's done a fantastic she's job. Great. You know just what I love? Get some testimonials. I just would like you to know, Lee, she's done a fantastic job. Well, the great thing is, is I already know that Kara is amazing. So yeah. very lucky. So then you've had your meeting. It's going to go in a number of different directions. It could become a conversation about development. It could be a conversation about your career. It could be about coaching you out. It could go a number of different ways. That's exciting. What a fun time for you. But assuming that, <laughs> assuming that everything's, uh, everything goes well and you get some sort of amount of raise or something, what's your advice as far as uh, going forward? How, after you've gotten that raise, how can you... Uh, do a better job of making sure that you're communicating to the company how awesome you are and so that it doesn't end up being another year before you're having a development conversation and, and going through this stressful exercise all over again. So I had we tested this on one team already before we went into this craziness and they came up with a great idea where they built a like an internal resume for themselves. Um, each person on the team, they kind of created a living document where you wrote down all the things that are most valuable, where you think you can develop. Uh, I think probably... Uh, the best advice is to show that you're open to feedback and that you want to grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just kind of handing off. Uh, so I've had people write write down this list and then use it regularly. Maybe you and your manager use it in your one-on-ones or you bring it back six months later and say, hey, here are the things I wanted to accomplish. So that was one thing our, our test group piloted, so that's one way to do it. Um, also, HR wisdom tells everybody to never have like a tough performance conversation in the middle of a comp conversation, but that still happens, right? So being emotionally ready for that, right? Like you could be walking in and just be ready for some tough feedback. Uh, what you said at the beginning, like sometimes they're tough conversations, uh, but we want uh, just being ready for that if it happens, and then kind of being ready to handle it. Uh, however you go about being ready to handle it. <laughs> Use your own techniques. But so I think being it's a risky move and that's why people don't do it, right? It's it's not only it's socially risky and it's um there's a chance someone says, No, in fact I can't believe you make this much or something crazy. <laughs> right? And like uh, has that, like, that happened here? No, you okay. should <laughs> no, but like You're making that much? <laughs> what were we thinking? No, I was just thinking like worst case scenario, like playing those scenarios out in your head, like what is the worst case scenario and being ready for it because you know it's risky and so going in if the, if you hear no as an answer to not um 
not leave it angrily or something like that. Just saying something, okay, well, how can I plan for this conversation to go better next year or something like that? Yeah, and I, I, would, I would pay attention to, I think that answer could vary depending on who your boss is. And so understanding what are the metrics or signals that your boss is paying mm-hmm. attention to, that's sort of how to manage things long term. So uh, you, you may be winning in one metric and it turns out your boss is deciding your comp based on something else. So understanding how you're being measured, paying attention to that, and how your boss likes to uh, that to be reported back to them, that's what I would be highlighting, the things that your boss wants to see, that they're measuring you on. Um, that would make sense. So Allison kicked off the segment by talking about the low unemployment rate. And sort of implicit in that is it's hard to find harder to find employees. So since you two are in the HR world, is now a good time to be going out and shopping around? Asking and... for a friend, bro? <laughs> not not at all. But I mean, we're talking here about getting a raise from your current employer. Is now a good time to be going out and to see what else you can get, testing your skills in the in the marketplace. I think that's a really hard question to answer. Uh, I, I, I think it depends on the person, the role you're in, the type of company you work for, uh, the geography that you may or may not be tied to. Um, I think that can vary wildly by, uh, yeah, city, industry, uh, where you are in your career, the things that you're looking for. So uh, when I talk to people they, um, today, they tend to um, be more specific than I've ever um, experienced in terms of what they want. So I think what people are finding in a good marketplace is the ability to sort of find, I want to work on Monday and Mondays and Wednesdays, and I want to commute from the beach on these other two days, and I want it to be a tech industry. So um, I'm not sure specifically related to comp, but more so the type of job that you're looking for. I think there's um, those things are out there. What do you think, Kara? Well, I also think if you're um, if you're listening and you're a manager of people, it's helpful to think about what you might do if someone came to you and asked for a raise. And so I, I like to think about okay, what would what would happen if that person came in tomorrow? Because again, the way some people ask for raises say, "I just got a better offer," right? Mm-hmm. And that's more likely to happen these days. And so if you're a manager, thinking about how you are working to keep that person, uh, so they don't have to come to you when they're unhappy, and because again, most people aren't brave enough, even if we declare it, ask for a raise day. Uh, so just paying attention that just because silence doesn't mean happiness, right? And just making sure you're going out and doing that. So as you want to retain an employee, and and knowing your options is always helpful. Right? And, and we've talked a bit today about an individual going to their boss and asking for a raise. I would also encourage anyone out there who is a boss have an open conversation with the people that work for you. Hey. How are you feeling about your compensation? That's probably not something that most uh, managers or team leaders do, and I would I would encourage it because if you get to the point where someone comes to you and says, "Hey, I got a better offer somewhere else," oftentimes we find that's too late. Um, that the 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 person has already moved on in so many ways in their mind. So, hey, as a team lead, you can also proactively have a difficult conversation. Mm-hmm. And have awesome results, right? Of course, potentially. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I don't see a huge downside, really. As Kara said, it's possible the person says no. Um, But you're probably, then you're not in really a different place than you already were. You just Uh, know it. Yeah, Yeah. you just know it. Which which, which is really important. Which I do, maybe you're not happy about it, but I do think you're in a better place because then you know, to Robert's point, oh, maybe I should be looking elsewhere. Um, At least I know where I stand here. Otherwise, you could waste a lot of time, uh, even years, waiting for something to happen that isn't going to. So have the conversation. There you go. All right, listeners, go out there and do it. Leave believes in you, and Kara's excited because you've 
you've got your checklist and you're data driven. Yes. Yes. Everybody do this tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and let us know how Tomorrow's it turns out. Day, so yeah, you know. That would be fun, there. like a national day of ask for a raise. That'd be fun. <laughs> Let's start that movement here. I'm supposed to get a raise next week, you know that when I won't. So one tradition we have here at The Motley Fool is an annual, I would say, fireside chat where fools get up and they tell stories. And um, and I was thinking about that because, Lee, I believe you're the reason why we do the fireside chats, right? You got us the idea from a friend or something? Well, from one of our members uh, who also happens to be a friend of mine, so uh, an avid uh, Motley Fool subscriber. And he and I were talking about the um, power of telling stories and uh, it's a great way for companies to um, share core values uh, and uh, sort of um, some of the unwritten rules of an office. Uh, a great way to do that is the power of storytelling. And so um, by his suggestion, we started an, an annual tradition of, yeah, we call it Fireside Chat. We uh, actually like have a fake fire and sleeping bags. And, and One year we had s'mores. Yeah. It was quite nice. Yeah, yeah. so we, we, we do it up and, and, and you know, we take an hour or two and just have people tell stories of um, things that have happened through the years that also sort of teach a lesson or emphasize a core value. So like mm-hmm. um, Gary Hill, a longtime fool, likes to tell a story about um, flying coach and having a really bad rental car experience. And uh, it just sort of gets the point that, uh, across the point that, you know, we don't fly first class. So little things like that that, um, that are fun to tell. Yeah, so I have been digging through the Motley Fool archives because it is um, 25th anniversary. As listeners, your desk uh, is a know. mess. My desk. I have you have an area. Clippings. I have I have taken over. It's insane how much stuff I have. But I keep stumbling upon these fun little things. In fact, this last week I found a copy of the Fredericksburg, Virginia Freelance Star. Is that the name of the hometown newspaper? Something like that. Yeah. And I'm looking at this. I'm like, what is this? And there it is, above the fold, very top. Up, under the masthead, an article about our own Robert Brokamp, and it had his picture and his daughter's picture yeah. in it. Um, do you want to tell us the story? <laughs> this is not actually a fool story, but it's just kind of weird. But, so. but it's—I didn't—I don't know why someone at the fool decided to put this in. Some I don't know. I found folder. it in some hanging because this is from 2004. Basically, my daughter and I were at a restaurant in Ohio and saw a flyer for the Storm Defender Cape for dogs. You put it on your dog if your dog is afraid of lightning. And this makes, for somehow it distributes the static electricity in the air, and it makes your dog comfortable. We thought it was funny, and we sent it to Dave Barry, who many of you may know is a humorist who does an annual gift-giving guide. He actually put it in his annual gift-giving guide, so we got a little credit there in the guide. And the local Fredericksburg newspaper thought it was such big news that we made Dave Barry's guide (laughs) that they put us on the front page of the newspaper. So that was one that I found this week. I and I, also, can oh, I just say that oh, the, the, I thought it was funny. Turns out that the creator of the Storm Defender Cape for Dogs was offended by this. So let me take this opportunity to say I apologize. <laughs> I hope you got lots of sales from all the free advertising. From and helped it. a lot of dogs. Probably. And helped a lot of dogs. Hopefully. So I came across a copy of Inc. Magazine from 1998, and in it was an article all about the Fool Rules, a global guide to foolish behavior. Does this sound familiar to you, Lee? It does. So when I also started here in 1998, 
and I guess the week or two before I started, this article came out. And uh, our HR uh, leader at the time had said in the article, if you'd like a copy of our handbook, just drop me an email and had put her personal email uh, in the article. Well, it turns out a lot of people read Inc. Magazine, at least in the <laughs> 1998 they did. And so we got literally thousands of requests for a free copy of our handbook. And so for the first several weeks that I worked here, I sat literally in a dark corner and I would respond to these requests via email. I would log them into Excel, which I, it was great learning because I, I got really good at Excel. And uh, I would stuff envelopes with our employee handbook and mail them out. So I, the positive was I really learned Excel. The negative, hours and hours of stuffing <laughs> envelopes of our free employee handbook. So that's you how I started. For a raise. Yeah, I should for... have. Yeah. What was so I think remarkable? I was overpaid for that job, actually. <laughs> what was so remarkable about our employee handbook? So it actually was, um, and even today, it, um, uh, very progressive. So what happened was um, twofold. First of all, companies said, hey, we need a handbook. How are we going to write this? Let's let everybody write it. And so it was a collaborative effort. Everybody that worked at the company at that time that wanted to contributed content. So each piece of the handbook was written by um, people here, not some sort of policy-driven thing that the HR team had put together or illegal, um, like a lot of companies. And then secondarily, it was written, uh, it was really accessible and fun and funny. And so uh, we believed at the time, and, and maybe still today, that the only company with an employee handbook that people actually wanted to read, right? And so it was fun, funny, short, um, accessible, and, and written by um, the community of which everyone was working. And then we also have Inc. Magazine from June 1999, an article titled, How the Motley Fool Talks Back. It was all about our intranet-based program called Stop, Start, Continue, where 125 employees were asked to use the internet board to assess one another's job performance and comment on the work habits of coworkers. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> no. What? Tom I mean, I Connor, a web about. developer at the company, says <laughs> using the internet encouraged more honesty, especially when it came to offering constructive criticism. And it turns out it became so honest that we had to stop that. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> <Say>. <laughs> yeah, it was a genius idea. Stop, start, continue. And uh, you could pull up any person's name at the company. And you could ask them to stop doing something, to start doing something, or continue doing something. And we began, and it worked well at first, but then we began to enter into some, what I'll classify as HR violations. Um, (laughs) Where um, I believe someone was asked to uh, continue uh, looking hot. (laughs) And a few other things like that, that it became um, no longer constructive, and uh, we stopped doing that program. (laughs) So those are a couple of things that I stumbled upon. Kara, do you have any fond memories for our little fireside chat here? Yeah, I think I was. Uh, I remember a story I got up and told at our fireside chat that is just one of my favorite. Uh, one winter I was uh, recruiting, and I had two interns that I'd gotten referred in. I was doing phone screens with them, and they were so excited. They're like, "I love your company," uh, and they and they checked all the boxes and were really ready to work. And I had desks set up for them the next day, and they had good grades, very smart people. Uh, they desk set up, computer set up, and it was 11 p.m. the night before their start date. Um, and they, they were friends or something they had referred in. And one of them emailed me and said, uh, what's the address of the Motley Fool? And I said, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you, we're right off the King Street Metro. You should be able to find that. 
And the the woman, the person writes back and says, I'm not sure where that is. And I was like, oh, and I just, I just gave them the full address. Uh, and they're like, you're in Alexandria, Virginia? I'm in Boston. I thought this job was in Boston. <laughs> and and so that was like recruiting screening error 101, I guess, on my part. Do you know where this job is? <laughs> I feel like that's not 100% on yes, you. Yes, <laughs> no, I think that's... I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, that's yeah. the story I remember getting up and telling at the fireside chat. It's like, uh, we have real enthusiasm, but check your facts, everybody. Check your facts before you apply for a job. And as I, re- as I recall, that was like 11 o'clock the night before. So these interns at 11 o'clock the night before they were supposed to start was the first time they thought, I should look up the address. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's not 100% your fault, Kara. Oh, kids these days. <laughs> it's a long time ago. They're adults now. <laughs> Well, thank you guys for joining us for uh, the podcast today. And uh, I look forward to asking for a race tomorrow. All right. And receiving one. <laughs> As well, right? I'm feeling good about it, Allison. I think I think you got for the, me or for you. For you. Oh, thanks. Well, one right. one thing that is fun about this is every person that asks will get some sort of raise. So um, it's, that's why I'm feeling good about it's it. A, it's a small amount, but we've guaranteed <laughs> that anyone that asks will get a small um, increase because we want people to do it. So All nice. right. Well, I'm going to do it. Thank you guys for coming on the show. We look forward to having you back someday. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Well, that's the show. I want to thank Lee Burbage and Kara Chambers again for joining us. Um, if you want to learn more about Motley Fool culture and what it's like, you we have a blog. You can go to culture.fool.com. Uh, if you want to work here, you can go to careers.fool.com. Uh, we also are on Twitter and Facebook and all those kinds of places. So if you uh, want to learn more about how we do here at The Motley Fool as a company, uh, you have many options. Blog, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Uh, also, uh, we didn't get any postcards this week. I know. Rick is aghast. Uh, So that's a bummer. But if you're going to be traveling this summer, don't forget to get a postcard and send it our way. Our address is 2000 Duke Street, Alexandria, Virginia, 22314. Uh, NMLSconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. (laughs) Uh, Our email is answers at fool.com. The show is edited richly by Rick Engdahl. <laughs> so I just go with it. Our email is answers at fool.com. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. Bye.